Okay, question, it's hard to believe for me. We are to question 15 today, so we'll review question 14, and then we'll talk a bit about and learn together question 15, which we'll be memorizing this next week, and we'll also a brief review of question 13, because these all really go together. But first, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Your word that is like a double-edged sword that cuts us. It reveals our sin. It reveals our deepest desires. It reveals our need for you. So thank you, God, for the work that your word does in our heart. And thank you for these classes. Thank you for these summaries of what your word teaches in the forms of these questions and answers so that we can have a firm foundation beneath us to know what it is your word teaches. Help us today as we study a couple of questions Help us to understand the, the point and the purpose of your law. How important it is and why it is so important. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're in a series of questions here about the law. Which is why I thought it would be good to go back to question 13 and read this together. The questions before... We're stating and summarizing and elaborating on the Ten Commandments. God's moral law has given to us in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then we get to question 13. It's a good question. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? So say this answer with me. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. So, no. No. None of us are able to keep the law of God perfectly. So, that leads to this question, which we talked about last week, and hopefully you memorized. Question number 14 did God create us unable to keep his law? Say the answer with me. No. But because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep God's law. This does get at a deeper question. And that question is, is God the author of evil? Is God the creator of evil? And a case could be made that he is if he did create us unable to keep his law. If he created us sinful. If he created us with wicked propensity. But he did not. So God is not the author of evil. Any of the kids here today? Able to answer that question for us without help? If so, you will be 
rewarded. Anybody? Good. Okay, who wants to go first? Both of you want to go first. Okay, we're going to go with the elder. The elder, Stella. Okay, stand up, Stella. Did God create us unable to keep his law? Great job, Stella. Ready? Okay, Alexander, you got it? All right, Alexander, did God create us unable to keep his law? Perfect. I like the excitement, too. And there you go. Anyone else? Okay, let's say it one more time together. Did God create us unable to keep his law? No. But because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep God's law. Okay, so let's begin learning the next question together. And we'll start by reading it. Question 15, since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? So these are going in a logical order, right? Can we keep the law? No. Um, Did God create us unable to keep the law? No. Okay, well, then what is the purpose of the law? Right? Are we given a law that we cannot keep? Why are we given rules that we cannot keep? Why would we give anyone a rule that they cannot keep? That's what this question is getting at. So since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Let's say it together. That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. So why do I need grace and mercy? That's what the law, that's one of the things the law is doing, right? The law of God is teaching me why I need grace and mercy. God has given me his law. God has given me his will for my life, and I have disobeyed him. So the law is showing me the disobedience that is in my heart. So when asked the question, when, when, when we present the gospel to someone, and we're explaining to them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and that he is their what? What might we say? He is their savior, right? The question comes up, well, why do I need a savior? Why do I need grace? Why do I need undeserved favor? Why wouldn't I just receive deserved favor? Why why do I need mercy from God? What have I done to where I would need God to be merciful? Then the subtext of all of that is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And most people believe 
that they are a good person. Ask 10 people, do you think you're a good person? And you'll probably get 10 yeses. Maybe not, but you'll probably get 10 yeses because they'll have some scale. They'll have some standard and it'll be much lower than God. It'll be this guy or it'll be that gal or it'll be this one over here, or this one over there. And comparatively speaking, relatively speaking, sure, I'm a good person. I'm not bad. I'm not wicked. I'm not evil. I'm not that bad. I'm not that evil. I'm a good person. So if I'm a good person, I don't need grace. I don't need mercy. I don't need a savior. This is why the law is so important. So let me read to you what Charles Simeon said in the commentary with this catechism. He said, these poor men think they can preach the gospel without preaching the law. Apparently it was a problem then. It can still be a problem now. You can't do that. We can't preach the gospel without preaching the law. We can't preach our need for a savior without explaining to people why they need a savior. So this is what the law is getting at. Preach the law, he said, to those who believe, he gets on to another use of the law. So it's those who have already become Christians. Preach the law to those who believe as finished, canceled, dead, For their salvation, point them and listen to this image he gives us, point them to Emmanuel as holding it. That is the law in his bleeding hand and saying to them, if ye love me, keep my commandments. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. So we became Christians by being confronted with the law. It was through the law and our understanding of what we had done wrong and that who we are is wrong. So we needed to be saved by Christ. Now, once saved, the law has done that work in us. And now the law helps us to know as believers how to live a life that pleases God. And we now want to please God. We have a new desire to please God. The law teaches us what sinners we are. Let me read you two scriptures. One is from Romans chapter 3. And the other is from Galatians chapter 3. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight. Now, let me ask you why. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why not? We've studied that in this catechism class. Why won't any human being be justified by works of the law? What was that? We can't keep it. If we could keep the law perfectly, then maybe we could be justified by it. But we can't. So Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, 
No human being will be justified in his sight. Here's what the law does. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So I think when I quote quote, uh, from Ligon Duncan, if I remember right, he talks about this, but there is, a, there is a degree of the law that is written on our hearts as human beings. We have a conscience, right, Christian or not. We have a sense of what is right and wrong. But one of the things that happens as you come to know God's word, and especially as a Christian who comes to know God's word, is that understanding of what is right and wrong gets sharpened. And that understanding of what pleases God and what doesn't please God gets sharpened. And over time, you find things in God's word that are revealed to you as sin and you're convicted of sin that you didn't even know before were sin. Romans 3.20 is talking about that. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So think about it. We just finished studying the Ten Commandments. And one of the things we did in three separate catechism questions is elaborated elaborated on what those commandments actually mean, what they condemn and what they commend, right? What they're telling us not to do, but also what they're telling us to do. And how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, just think, how many of you, as we were studying those 10 commandments together, were convicted of sin you weren't previously convicted of? That happened for me. Brady and Avery, you've got to separate, okay? That happened for me. There was new conviction as I really thought about what these commandments were and what God was condemning and what God was commending and really thought about what God's word was teaching. There was new, con- I was learning this is not good. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. This is not permissible. So what's happening as I'm reading God's word and understanding God's word, knowledge of sin is coming in. And how many of you have had that happen just in your own reading, in your devotional time? How many of you have just been alone with your Bible and you've read something and you've thought, this is this is speaking to me right now. I think this is pointing out and addressing something in my life that I need to pay attention to that I haven't been. This is one of the things that God's law is doing. It is exhorting us to live a life that is worthy of our Savior. In Galatians 3.24, sort of going back now, says, so then the law was our guardian, or some of the translations, I think the NIV says schoolmaster, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So we're not justified by works, Romans 3.20, we can't be. We're justified by faith, Galatians 3.24, and the law got us to that point. It was a guardian that was leading us to Christ. Picture the law, right, as holding your hand and leading you as a schoolmaster, as a guardian, as a mentor to Jesus Christ. The law had us. You can't can't obey me. You cannot follow me. Do you see? You cannot do this. Try as hard as you can. Pray as hard as you can. Work as hard as you can. You cannot keep this law. What was that doing? It was leading us to Christ. No, of course you can't keep the law. 
not since Adam and Eve. You are a sinner by nature and by choice. So what's happened? I need the gospel. I need good news. The law got me there. So let me um, give you a few quotes from Ligon Duncan. I think he's really helpful in pulling the different parts out of this. He says, the law of God helps us to know God, know ourselves, know our need, and know the life of peace and blessedness. That's what we're being told here. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that everyone knows right and wrong. He does address this. But the law of God very specifically reveals to us God's character and his own moral qualities. So through the law, we learn learn who God is. We learn what kind of God he is. God's law also reveals to us ourselves, especially our sinful nature and our disobedience, our inclination to sin. And he brings up the example of the rich young ruler. You remember the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? And he came to Jesus and seemed ready to follow him. And um, told Jesus that he was a a follower of the commandments. He was an obeyer of the commandments. He was a keeper of the law. And he said, so what else do I need to do in order to be saved? And and Jesus told him that, well, there's one more thing you need to do. I want you to go and sell all of your possessions. Give them away and then come and follow me. He says that to a rich man. Now, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Is, is, that, a, is that a general law? Are all Christians, are you, are you supposed to go home this afternoon and, and sell your car and sell your home and, and sell your clothing and sell all your possessions and then only will you be able to truly follow Christ? That's, that's not a general command in Scripture. So what was Jesus doing? He gave this man a rule. He gave this man a law. And what was he doing? He was exposing the sin in this man's heart. Whatever it was, greed maybe, an idolizing of his money and his possessions for him, it was a problem and it was between him and Christ. And so God gave him a command. And do you remember how the man reacted? You, you know, you know that this was really important to him, his wealth and possessions, because he walked away. What does the Bible tell us? Sad. He was sad. Why does it tell us? Because he was very rich. That's a lot to have to give up. So there was an issue in his heart. This is what God's law is doing. It's revealing problems in our heart. He goes on to the third thing the law helps us with. It helps us to understand our need. It presses us to Jesus because we know that we have need of a savior. The law also shows us the life, he says, of peace and blessedness. My food, Jesus said in John 4, um, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'd heard that verse before and hadn't heard this interpretation of it, which was really helpful. Jesus did say that. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, which means Jesus was saying, I love to follow God the Father's commands. 
I love to follow his law. I enjoy following his law. I want to, I want to please him. Children who love their parents want to obey their parents. Maybe not always, and they still have sinful natures, and they go back and forth. But there is a desire in children that love their parents to, to please their parents. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then Ligon Duncan said, in other words, he was saying... And I think he's right. He was saying that it was like spreading a seven-course banquet in front of him to be able to obey the law of God, the will of God. It was his pleasure. It was his joy to obey God. It should be for the same for us as a Christian. And then finally, Duncan says, when God originally gave his commands to Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave those commands to them as blessings. They weren't things upon which his love was contingent. He loved them and blessed them in the garden. And their obedience to the commands was the very sphere in which they enjoyed that blessedness. And we know that's true. Think about what happened as soon as they sinned. The lie was that it would go better. Right, that they'd be like God and they would they would know they would know everything. And they sin and immediately fellowship with God was broken. They were embarrassed, they were ashamed, they tried to cover themselves, they tried to hide, they blamed, they made excuses. It got really dark really fast. So they were outside of that place of peace and blessedness. And when we are saved by Christ. We are united to Christ. We are able to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We are to live in a manner that is like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he delighted in obeying God. And so the law of God shows us what that life of peace and blessedness is like. It shows us what it's like to live a life worthy of the gospel once we've trusted in Jesus Christ. So let's say it one more time together, and then I'll pray. Question 15. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your law. And we, we read in your word that your people delight in your law. That David delighted in your law. That our Savior delighted in your law, that he looked at following your law like eating a planned out, perfect meal. Would you help us to enjoy following you this way? Would you convict us when we obey you begrudgingly? Would you convict us when we complain about your law? And give us, God, more and more, we pray, a desire to keep your law, to live a life that pleases you, that honors you, that is worthy 
of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.